Good afternoon. I'm representing today. Look, I get, yeah, yeah. I like to say I did contribute to the building fund, but you guys actually gave this to me. And uh, so um, I'll be praying for the building fund. How about that? Now, we are delighted to be back once again for our fourth session. And my heart just goes out to the, is it the, the Chow family? The Hong family and uh, just the, uh, the accident uh, that happened. And uh, as we've been speaking, it was a providential accident, right? Um, God knew and uh, God is with him and with the family and uh, we'll continue to pray. I want to just give you guys a quick update before we open up God's word together. Uh, TJ and I went home and, uh, to visit with uh, Sherry, my wife, and uh, with Julia, and she is doing really, really well. So thank you guys all for your prayers. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Amen. And uh, had a few folks come by uh, after church and uh, visited with her, and so she was uh, feeling really special. And uh, so her fever broke, and uh, her uh, congestion, I shared with some of you, she was having some congestion, and that's cleared up. And so we are really thankful to the Lord and really believe that she's on the road to mending. And so uh, we certainly know that God is sovereign in that, but God works out his sovereignty, sovereignty through the prayers of his people. And uh, they are real, and uh, so I just wanted to really, really thank all of you guys for, for praying for her. Let's pray together, and then let's open up God's Word together uh, for our session this afternoon. Father, we do just thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gift of singing where we can uh, open up our hearts and lift our voices in adoration and worship to you, proclaiming your excellencies, Lord, for you alone are worthy. Um, Lord, we pray now that you would help us in our time together once again as we come to your word, Uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that you would grant us the grace to um, gird up the loins of our minds that we might think your thoughts after you, Um, impress upon us all the things that you want us to learn, and then by your Spirit, Lord God, incline our wills to fear your name and help us not only to be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word that we might be blessed in all of our doing. Lord, I pray particularly, Lord, for families here, individuals here um, who may be suffering very acutely. Lord, you know their hearts. You know what they need from you, Lord, and you are so sufficient. So we pray for your grace and your mercy in our time together. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go to God's word. And what I want to do for our time together is to turn our attention while we have been doing that, certainly, and hopefully you've, you've uh, caught that, but I want to turn our attention more specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ for our time together uh, this afternoon. Um, we have been thinking pretty broadly about the topic of suffering. Um, we have been thinking about suffering in all of its forms, uh, in the sense of suffering that comes to us just by simply living in a broken and a fallen world understanding that even though we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not immune uh, to the various vicissitudes of life that come our way. But we've been making note that um, because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ under the sovereignty of God, that all of the pain that comes into our life by means of our suffering is designed and orchestrated by God for his glory and for our good. But what I want to talk to us about for our time together tonight is more specifically thinking about suffering for doing what is right. This is more so suffering uh, in terms of living out our faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it can be kind of under the category of persecution. The principles that we'll look here uh, in a moment at can be expanded to all kinds of suffering, but this is more specific to us as following the Lord Jesus Christ, living out our faith in this fallen world, and the pushback that happens as a result of us seeking to live righteous lives and doing what is right. And the best example of that that I can come up with in terms of suffering and the sovereignty of God in the context of uh, doing what is right and suffering is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts, you guys don't have to turn there, you can mark it down. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, we find the staggering words here where it says, Men of Israel, and this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God 
with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And I point us to this passage because it holds those two things together, that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. And we know all of the suffering that attended itself to him being nailed to the cross. But the text also said that this was according to the predetermined plan of God and his foreordination. In other words, we have the sovereignty of God and suffering. Those two things brought together to point to what Jesus Christ endured in his life. All of his pain, all of his suffering, the things that we read about, particularly leading up to Passion Week and leading up to the cross, all of that suffering and drinking in the wrath of God and being punished uh, for crimes that he did not commit, right? If there was ever an individual who did nothing wrong, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. All of his suffering was unjust suffering. Everything that happened to him was unjustly. And yet the Bible clearly says that it happened as a result of the predetermined plan of God. And I would suggest that that's not just a statement that attends itself to Jesus Christ, but it is attends itself to our lives as well. That everything that happens to us is as a result of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God's sovereignty and our suffering come together. They're not at odds with one another. But they explain what God is doing as he runs his moral universe and runs our lives. And yes, we make free choices. We do do that. There are consequences to our choices. So I don't want to gainsay that. And yet we understand in some mysterious way, all of our choices that we make are underneath the predetermined plan and counsel and foreknowledge of Almighty God, including our suffering. In John's gospel, I'm working through John's gospel at our church, and and so I've been so marvelously helped with just reminders of uh, this truth. Jesus says in a number of places how he suffered and also uh, are commending his disciples to the reality that they will suffer as well. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this in verse uh, 18. He says, if the world hates you, speaking to his disciples, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your words also. Now that has a unique application in some senses to the original uh, 12, but it also has a secondary application to us as well. The fact that we are hated by the world, and brothers and sisters and friends, we are hated by the world because we are followers of the Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, and the world hates us because it hated him first, and because we follow his example, we follow after him, we're going to receive the same kinds of of persecutions and endure the same kind of suffering as he did when we walk by faith and not by sight and when we choose righteousness over unrighteousness. In chapter 16, Jesus said similarly in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. In other words, God is saying or Christ is saying that I have overcome the world and I'm going to give you peace. But that peace is going to flesh itself out in the midst of a world that hates you and is going to give to you tribulation. So let's not be under any kind of false notion that we're going to make it through this world, living out our faith and not endure and not be confronted with tribulation and pain and persecution and opposition because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But because we know Christ we can experience peace. Amen? Peace that passes all human understanding. Peace that doesn't make any sense when all things around us are crumbling down. We can have a a, a steadiness of soul and mind, a calmness of heart. How and why? Because of Christ and what he has done. And so I want to drive us to just think together about the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering and his submission in the midst of his suffering to the sovereignty of God that will help us. So I invite us all, let's open our Bibles together to 1 Peter, to 1 Peter. And for uh, our time together, I am going to just work through a particular passage here in uh, the epistle 
that Peter penned. Uh, I stated this before in one of the earlier sessions that I do believe that Peter, having gone through what we talked about, I think it's Luke 22, where Jesus said that Satan has desired or asked permission to sift Peter like wheat. And God did give Satan permission to do that. But Jesus prayed for him and he turned around. And Jesus said, when you do turn around, strengthen and encourage the brethren. And I think in part of the way that Peter strengthened and encouraged the brethren is that he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this epistle to these spread out believers who were spread out over Asia Minor who were enduring and being persecuted for their faith. And he wrote this, I think, out of his own experience of suffering, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage God's people to submit to the suffering and the persecution that they were, are, are enduring and were enduring, knowing that God would care for them. And I think this word is encouraging not only to them, but also encouraging to us So what I want to do as we focus our attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. I'm going to set before us three ways the suffering of Jesus Christ is transformative in our lives and is the key to our suffering for the glory of God. Three ways the suffering of Jesus Christ is transformative in our lives and is the key to our suffering for the glory of God. And I'm looking at in my Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. And let me read these verses in our hearing, and then we'll set out to try to explain them. Peter writes this, verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who, speaking of Christ, committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live righteous and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls so the first way the suffering of Jesus Christ is transformative in our lives and is a key to our suffering for the glory of God, I want you to take note of this, that Jesus' suffering provides the perfect example for us. That's point number one. Jesus' suffering provides the perfect example for us. Now notice this in verse 21 where Peter says this, and Peter had just uh, gotten through with calling different individuals, different categories of individuals to submit themselves to authority, even though those authority may not be righteous and they may be punishing them in a way that was unjust. And Peter calls them to submit. So in verse 13, he says there, if you guys are looking at your Bible, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If you go down to verse 18, he says, servant, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And a better translation of unreasonable would be perverted. And then he says this in verse 19, for this finds favor with God. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. That's what he's talking about, suffering unjustly. In other words, when we choose to do what is right and persecution comes our way, that is unjust suffering. And he's saying when that happens to us, and it will happen to us, if we live our life out in a righteous way by the grace of God, we will suffer unjustly. But when that happens, Peter's call to us is to submit to it and not to resist it. It's really important, you guys, to hear, because we're living in a time, quite frankly, if I could just be honest with you, there are many Christians who are choosing not to submit to unjust suffering. But you know what we're doing? We're raising our hands just as high as the world, and we're proclaiming our rights 
not to suffer. And the Bible would say, be very careful about that. The Bible's calling is for us when we suffer unjustly. That means it's not right for them to tell us to do this. The call is to submit to those authorities that are calling us to do it. I'm on the verge of meddling, but I won't go there and I won't call any particular names. But let's just say that what this text is saying is that our posture when we suffer because of doing what is right is to be that of submissiveness. For, he says in verse 20, for what credit is it is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? In other words, if we're sinning, if we're living an unrighteous life and then we're suffering as a consequence of our sin, you know, what, what is that? You deserve that, he's saying. That's not what he's talking about. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In other words, God is glorified when his people choose to do what is right and they suffer for it and they submit to that suffering. And then he says, for you have been called for this purpose. The question is, for what purpose? The purpose that I just stated. The purpose that I just stated. Now, I want to just tease this out a little bit because what you need to understand is that when, when Peter says, for you were called for this purpose, he is saying this calling, that's really the effectual call of God. That's not the general call of the gospel. That's the effectual call of God when God calls you to become one of his own. And if you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you answered that call. Amen. That was a call that went out through the proclamation of the gospel, whether you were reading the scriptures in the gospel or whether somebody shared the gospel, whether you were sitting under preaching. There's a general calling that goes out to everybody that they would repent and believe. And then there's the effectual call of God that goes directly to your soul. And you are born again, and you go from being a blind to seeing. That's the calling that Peter is talking about. And when he says this, you were called for this purpose. He is saying this, that when God saved you, part of that calling would be that you would live a righteous life in this world, and as a result of that, you would suffer. Have you ever thought about that? It's a part of being a Christian is what Peter is saying. Right? He would later say this, that, that don't think it's something strange when, when fiery ordeals find you. Like that's, that, that's not something that we should be surprised about. It's part of the package. When you signed up to follow Jesus, in the fine print was you will suffer. It's kind of a joke because it's not in the fine print. It's in bold print. Jesus said it over and over and over and over. You need to count the cost to follow me. That if you would join yourself with me, that, that you're going to have enemies in your own household, right? That, that I did not come, Jesus says, to, to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. That a person's own enemies or worse enemies would be those members of his own household. That I'm going to set father against mother and parents against children. He said that over and over, again and again. So it's no small print. It should be no surprise that part of following Jesus Christ means that we will, in fact, suffer. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 28 and 29. He says, you should be in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Notice this, verse 29, Philippians 1, for to you it has been granted, literally gifted, literally graced to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. In other words, if you worship and praise God for the gift of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says you should also praise and worship God for the gift of suffering for Jesus' sake. It's in the same box. God gave us a gift of salvation, and as you unwrapped it by faith and you saw that your sins were forgiven, you have the gift of imputed righteousness, you have redemption, all of those wonderful blessings of salvation in that gift that God gave to us the moment that you believe, also in that box was the gift of suffering. That's what the Bible says. And so what Peter is doing is reminding those who he's writing to that you have been called for this purpose. And he says this, since Christ also suffered 
for you. And what he's saying is, is he's about to present Christ as a model and a standard and example for our suffering. That, that, that part of what Christ did in his suffering was obviously atoned for our sins. And we're going to see this in the second half of, of this passage. But what Peter is drawing their attention to here when he says Christ also suffered for you, he's not talking about the atoning aspect of the suffering of Christ. He's talking about the exemplary aspect of the suffering of Christ. In other words, that, that we don't need to be rocked back on our heels when we suffer going, how do I live this out? What Peter is saying is that I'm going to tell you how to live this out. Just fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That Jesus Christ, and that's the rest of the verse. You see it there in your Bibles. Look there for a moment. Leaving you an example or leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In other words, we don't just look at the suffering of Christ. It says, praise the Lord. He went to the cross and atoned for my sins. But it's this. We look at the suffering of Christ and praise the Lord. He has taught us how to live when we suffer. That's the idea. How many of you guys have ever asked that question in the midst of suffering? How do I live this out? I have, and I'm sure many of you have. Like, how do I respond? What am I supposed to do? How do I get passes? What are my emotions supposed to be like? How, 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 how am I supposed to react to the pain that I'm going through right now? And Peter's answer is, look to Jesus. Watch Jesus. And this idea, you guys, there that leaving you an example. It's an interesting word that he uses there. Uh, it, it's, it's an idea of an imprint. Um, it, it's, it's the idea. How many teachers do we have in the room? Teachers? It's teachers, right? Do we have any like uh, elementary school teachers? And, and, I, and I, it's been a long time since I've been in school. Um, you know, we used, to, we used to chisel letters on like concrete. We, no, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how they still teach children how to write, but back in my day, when the earth's crust was still hardening, they used to write a pattern on a piece of paper, right, and give it to us, just the little letters, right? And they would be little dotted lines, and they would give it to us, and then we would place a piece of paper on top of the pattern, and guess what we would do? We would take our pencil, and we would follow the pattern and simply trace it out. That's the word that Peter uses. That's the idea. When he says that Jesus Christ left us an example to follow, he left us a pattern that we can trace out when we are enduring suffering. And we just follow that pattern by faith. That's the idea. What an amazing text that this is. This, this is an underwriting to help us live out our Christian faith when, in fact, we are suffering. We are to imitate Jesus. He's lived the kind of life perfect it is and pleasing to God in his sight, but he left that life for us. And we have the pages of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in order for us to look at it. And we don't have to be in any doubt on how to live when we suffer unjustly. We are to follow in his footsteps. And that's the motivation. So maybe I can put it this way, uh, just to hang your thoughts on it. That we have a duty, and our duty is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ when we suffer unjustly. And then we have a motivation, realizing that Christ left us an example. Right? That's the motivation, because I want to live like Christ. I want to be like Christ, right? Remember, we've been talking about out of Romans chapter 8, uh, 29, right? What, what, what's, what's the ultimate design of God in all of our lives? That we would be conformed into the image of God. How do we know that we've been conformed into, I should say, conformed into the image of Christ? How do we know that we've been conformed into the image of Christ? We live like Christ. Yes? Right? Now, Christ lives in us and through us, but we walk that out, Right? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God that is in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. What do you think God is in us working through the power of this Holy Spirit to will and to do? And it is to live like Christ. That's our goal. And so our motivation then is that Christ left us an example to follow. This is both personal and compelling and that's what Peter is doing. He's setting that out for us to follow. Now, what Peter does here then is he borrows a series of statements out of Isaiah 53 
to show us just the significant example and the ways in which Jesus Christ endured his suffering. So let me give us three ways in which he endured his suffering so that we can know how to follow out this example. It's a perfect example, and none of us will follow it perfectly, but by God's grace, we at least know what the pattern is. First of all, Jesus Christ lived this out in submitting to his suffering sinlessly. Sinlessly. Notice what it says. Who committed no sin? nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In other words, two things to be said there. That when he suffered, it was clear that it was unjust because he was sinless. We know that theologically, we ought to know that practically. That Jesus Christ never sinned in thought, word, or in deed. Everything that he thought, everything that he said, and everything that he did was perfectly pleasing to his father. So any persecution that came his way was unjust persecution. Everything that he endured was unjust. And so what Peter is saying to us then is, is that we are called to live that same kind of life. Now we know, right, that we sin. You all do know that, right? That, wait, hold on, let me take take a step back. You guys all know that. You guys look lovely, but you all are a bunch of sinners, right? You do know that. We're redeemed and we're growing, but we know that we still yet sin, right? I am, a, I am St. Anthony, the sinner, right? Put that together theologically. That's the fact. I am a saint. Literally, I am a saint. I am set apart for the glory of God, right? Through justification, through sanctification, right? In the sight of God, I am imputed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. God sees me through the lens of the righteousness of Christ, and that's how I am made right with God. And he has begun the transformative process in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit, working with the word of God, uh, ever changing me, right? But I have not yet arrived. There is still sin in my life, but I am called by God to live a life of complete holiness and righteousness. And my perfect example of that is Jesus Christ. And that should be your perfect example. That we are to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly when we are faced with persecution because of our faith, we must choose not to sin. We must choose always, by the grace of God, to do what is right. To choose the path of Christ. Because he set an example for us to follow. No, obviously, as I said, our reach will always far exceed our grasp. But we should be reaching for sinlessness nonetheless. In chapter 4, verse 14, here in 1 Peter, Peter said this, or he wrote this, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler, but... If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. In other words, when we suffer by means of persecution, it should not ever be because we are sinning. But it should be because we are living our lives as a what? Christian. You see how Peter just says that? He takes murderers and thieves and liars and he puts it over in this category and he doesn't say, okay, don't do that. He just says what? Be a Christian, (laughs) right? Which in his mind means that being a Christian means living a righteous life. That's what it means to be a Christian, following Christ, living righteously by the grace of God. That's what we see in the example of Jesus. He did not sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Comprehensive righteousness is the example that Jesus left for us. So, part of following that example is to live out our lives sinlessly with the help of the grace and mercy of God. And we should not 
suffer because we've sinned. But secondly, notice how else Jesus left the pattern for us. Not only did he leave a sinless pattern for us, but he suffered patiently. He suffered patiently. Look at verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. The idea here is, is that he didn't retaliate. He, he, he was patient in his suffering. He didn't return evil for evil. He showed remarkable restraint. Whether it was verbal abuse or physical suffering, Jesus did not retaliate, but he patiently and humbly endured it all from his tormentors. He submitted himself to their, to their persecution out of respect and glory for his father who ordained it. And that's really hard to do, is it not? Okay. It's really hard for me to do that. When I find myself being persecuted, particularly for something that I have not done, my reflex mode is to push back. My reflex mode is to get even, right? And by the shaking of some of your heads, I'm not the only one, right? We don't like when people do things to us. We want to do things back to them. That's one of the main lessons, is it not, that if you have more than one child, you teach your children, right? Like, I know, little Joe, that Sally just hit you, but it was wrong for you to do what? Hit Sally back. It's a lesson, right? That's, that, that's our fallen nature. That's what, we, that's what we're inclined to do by nature, is to retaliate. And what the text is telling us is, is that Jesus Christ did not do that. He was patient. He, in, he endured it. And that was part of the example that he left for us. And so when we are suffering, it's not about trying to get back at others. Boy, do we need to hear that today. Let's say that again. Boy, do we need to hear that today. It is not our call to get back at the government. It is our call to be patient. It is our call not to sin. It is our call to submit to authorities. And you can do what you want to with that statement. But what I mean by that statement is we have to keep our eyes on Christ and follow the pattern and the standard and the example that he set for us as Christians and as a church. Because it's about pleasing the Lord, not championing our rights. It's about walking in the footsteps of our Lord. Sinlessly, patiently, in Thirdly, and I, I have a tendency, you guys can ask Micaiah, she'll tell you about this, and TJ will, that I think my church keeps, a, they're making a dictionary called uh, Pastor Kid-isms. I have the tendency to make up words, you guys. Micaiah will tell you, and I'll just, I know when I'm making them up, but it's okay because I know when I'm making them up, right? And so this word is trustingly. I'm not even sure that's a word, but it is for tonight. Sinlessly, patiently, trustingly. Now here's the key. Rather than retaliating and taking action on his own cause, the Lord Jesus chose to leave his vindication to God. And it is precisely here that suffering believers can walk in Jesus' footsteps. Notice what it says in, again, at you know, verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Do you see that? He just kept entrusting himself to his father, right? And we, we have incidences, right, where Jesus says, listen, 
You know, Peter, just put away your sword. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to defend me. If I wanted to, I could call down legions and my father would dispatch them. But he did not do that. But he submitted himself to the unjust suffering, not just for our atonement, but to teach us how to unjustly suffer as well. He entrusted himself to his father, knowing that one day his father would, in fact, vindicate him. And his father did vindicate him when he raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And he will vindicate us. And it doesn't always feel that way. It feels, doesn't it, very oftentimes that why do Christians always have to get the short end of the stick? Right? Why do we always have to be the laughing stock of the world? Why do we always have to be the ones that that are so submissive and we're just so passive and we let people just walk over us? That won't always be the case, brothers and sisters. The day will come when our Father will vindicate us in front of the whole universe. But today is not that day. The day that you're suffering may not be that day. And the calling is for you just to entrust yourself to God to do that for you. Submit to Him. It may be embarrassing. You may walk around thinking like, oh, guys, I'm just so tired of people thinking this way about me, that I'm weak. But we must follow the pattern set by our Lord Jesus Christ. He kept the ideas continuously, not just one time, but over and over and over again and again and again. He entrusted himself to his father. Who judges righteously. That's the pattern. That's the example. Those are the marks. That are traced down on a piece of paper. And then we put our life on top of that piece of paper. And we try to follow those marks. And when we do. Maybe the word that we write is glory. It's glory. Because Peter will later on say that when you suffer unjustly, that the Spirit of God rests upon you, and it is glory. An amazing, amazing reality. So we move then from model that Jesus is to now mediator. From model to mediator. Jesus is not only our perfect example. But Jesus is also our perfect Savior. So we move then from Jesus' suffering providing for us the perfect example to Jesus' suffering providing for us. This is point number two. Jesus' suffering providing for us the perfect atonement. He not only provides for us the perfect example, but he also provides for us the perfect atonement. And at the heart of what Peter is saying here is that the ultimate unjust suffering happened to Jesus on the cross when he bore our sins so that God's justice might be satisfied for the guilty. Look at your Bibles if they're still open at verse 24. And he, speaking of Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's what he did for us. And I think what Peter is doing is he's, he's saying that, okay, I know you guys, I'm writing about Jesus so you guys can see the example, but I want you guys to understand that there's even more than, and they would know that as Christians, there's more that Jesus Christ did than just being an example, but he was also our perfect savior, our perfect mediator, and he is atoned for our sins. And that would be an added incentive for them to continue to submit to unjust suffering, knowing that their sins had been washed away and forgiven by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we, brothers and sisters, have to have our faith always anchored in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially when we are suffering. To know that Jesus Christ has done everything, like a lamb being carried up to an altar to be slaughtered. That's the picture that Peter is painting, and he did that so that our sins would be forgiven. 
The knowledge that the eternal Son of God suffered in Himself the punishment that our sins deserve should motivate us to be submissive to what God has called us to be submissive to. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How amazing is that? That God treated Jesus Christ as though he had committed all of the sins of everyone who would ever believe in him, although he committed none, so that in turn he might treat us as though we lived the perfect life of Jesus, although we could not ever live the perfect right of Jesus, the life of Jesus. What a, an amazing exchange. Our sins given to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness given to us. That's the gospel. How good is that? And right smack square in the middle of Peter calling us to submit to our suffering, he puts forth the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ drank the cup of the wrath of God for our sins. Every single drop. God Almighty laid on him the iniquity of us all. And by his suffering, signified by the lashings on his back, His people are healed from the disease of sin. Verse 24, so that we might die to sin, right? And again, that's the motivation. That's what he's doing, right? That that we can't just die to sin on our own, but because of what Christ has done, we're enabled to die to sin, right? We're not only justified, but we've been given the ability to be sanctified. And so this calling to walk out a life of sinlessness, submission in the face of persecution, we're enabled to do that because Christ died for us. And because he died for us, we can die to sin. And at the end of the verse or in the middle of the verse and live to righteousness. We're enabled to do that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it empowers us, loved ones, not to have to retaliate when we face persecution for living out our faith. And he says, by, for by his wounds you were healed. And many take this to mean just physical healing. And I would argue that physical healing is in the atonement. And God does sometimes dispatch that healing in our lives and let the church say, amen. Boy, let me say amen. Um, God does still heal. We, we do believe that, Yes. Right? And not trust your congregation praise for healing. You should. But God sometimes says yes, and he sometimes says no. But the ultimate healing in the atonement is the healing of the soul. The sickness of sin plagued us. And by the stripes of Jesus, signifying the punishment that our sins deserved, we are now healed in our souls. From the stain and the guilt and the shame and the burden and the brokenness of sin. And we are enabled now to live out our faith in righteousness. And that righteousness would put us in opposition against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of the world. And we will suffer persecution, but we can now submit to it joyfully like Jesus Christ did. That's what Peter is saying. That this mediator, our Savior, has done everything for us to live lives that glorify God out of submission to his will in the midst of our suffering. So Jesus' suffering provides the perfect example for us. Jesus' suffering provides the perfect atonement for us. And finally, thirdly and lastly, Jesus' suffering provides the perfect care for us. Example, atonement, and care. Example, atonement, and care. Maybe you can look at it this way. Standard, Savior, and Shepherd. Look at the last verse. Four. You were continually straying like sheep. 
That's straight out of Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. But through the suffering of Jesus, we were converted and brought back into union and communion with our great pastor and the bishop of our souls. That's verse it's the second half of the verse. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now, and the now is really, really important, but now, right? But now, as a result of what Christ has done, but now, as a result of him uh, bearing this, the punishment that our sins deserve, but now, now, as a result of Christ drinking the cup of the full wrath of God on our behalf, but now, you have returned to the shepherd, the pastor, you guys do understand that Jesus is your ultimate pastor. Praise God for these pastors here. But they are simply under shepherds. There really is, and, and I never liked the, the word or the title senior pastor. It's okay, it's not a sin. Did you guys flip a coin? Who's the senior pastor? Who's the senior pastor of your church, you guys? Nobody wants to say anything, right? That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The answer to that question is Jesus. Right? You don't find the phrase senior pastor anywhere in the Bible. The closest that we come to finding anything close to senior pastor, you guys, is just turn in your Bibles in 1 Peter, a couple of chapters over. And it's in chapter 5. And it's verse 4. And it's simply this. And when the chief shepherd appears. That's as close as anywhere in the Bible that you have the phrase senior pastor. It's called the chief pastor. Poime, pastor. So let me ask the question again, right? So for Manual Bible Church, who is your senior pastor? Jesus, have you got it? Yeah, he's your senior pastor. And he loves you. And he wants to comfort you. And he wants to care for you when you suffer in this world for his namesake. That's what Peter is saying to them, that, that, that you have returned to the shepherd, the pastor, and guardian. And the word guardian there is, is, is where we get the word overseer and bishop, episkopos, episkopoi, the, 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 the one who looks over you. It's the idea. That's who Jesus is. He's always watching over his flock. You are never, ever alone. And because he's in heaven now, he can watch over all of his flock. Every single one of you, no matter where you are, Jesus is watching you. He is your good shepherd. And he loves you. He proved that he loved you because he laid down his life for you. That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for his flock. And he did that. So don't ever doubt him. Don't ever run from him. While you are suffering, run to him. That's what he's there for. He wants you to come into his full embrace when the pain is overwhelming in your life. He is there to love you, to hold you, to never let you go. What an amazing Savior we have. I love it. The shepherd and guardian of our souls cares for us. Psalm 23, and I'm going to close our time. You all know it off by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil. Do you know why? For he is with me. His rod and his staff, they will comfort me. 
He will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He will anoint my head with oil so that my cup will overflow. And surely goodness and loving kindness, the hesed love of God will follow me all the days of my life. And I will inevitably dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. And let the church say, amen. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, Lord, we want to just thank you for pointing our eyes to your Son, our Savior, and King Jesus Christ, who provided for us the perfect example that we are called to follow, who also made for us the perfect atonement for our sins, enabling us to live lives of righteousness, and who is also our perfect shepherd who cares for our soul. And so, Father, in a world that is increasingly becoming more and more hostile against us because of our faith in Christ, help us as we face persecution and suffer for our faith to submit joyously to unjust suffering so that we might bring you glory and honor and praise. We love you, Lord. We do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you in the pardoning of their sin, you would open up their heart to the grace of Christ, to see his beauty and to treasure him above all else. So we pray right now in Jesus' name that you would grant him or her or them the gift of repentance and faith that they might close with Christ and know the sweetness of being forgiven and redeemed. You are our only hope, Lord. And we bless you and we praise you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you. For Christ's sake, we pray. Let all God's people say together, amen. Amen. God bless you.